morning. Uh, just a quick note on vision before launching into the sermon. Uh, we ought to be praying for where God is calling us, and uh, I just felt it appropriate to share with you uh, a little bit based on our, our building situation, that whatever walls we have, they're going to be different than the ones we know now. Uh, and just that encouragement that real vision for our next thing is about what's out there, not in here. You have to ask God for vision about how he is calling us out into the world more than how can we have and protect what we have inside these walls. Otherwise, it's just redecorating. Just kind of, you know, trying to keep the same. May God bless us in our prayers. So, for this morning, welcome to the new shortened sermon time. You can start coughing or walking or yelping once I get past the 15-minute point. Probably going to go about 45, even though I intend 15. Kidding. 15 minutes to present some ideas that I'd like you to talk about in groups afterwards. Here's my hope. You can differ with this if you want, but, um, well, then you'll tell each other in your groups, you know, why these questions aren't even that valid. Here's my hope. I hope that through this conversation, our whole series in the spring is going to be about Christian mission. What does it mean to live this faith in our world today? And I think we need to be relieved of a couple of things sometimes in, in the way we can do church. So here's a hope for today. I hope that, and maybe you feel this already and that's great but that we feel confident about the fact that God has called us to live our faith today, not some other day, particularly not some other day in the past. I am deeply grateful that I live this faith now. And the pull to kind of be nostalgic, which can be a good feeling about where we've been, uh, can be comforting to us, but it doesn't imply vision So I would like you to be able to at least think about as as we go, I'm glad I live my faith today instead of some other day. And that you're glad you live in this world where not everybody shares your faith, but that you've been called to live out that faith here. So we're going to take a look at one first question in terms of Christian mission that I think we have to go to as we look at how our faith is going to how we're going to live out the call of our faith in this world to go and make disciples. So here's the question. Why is it so easy to not believe in God? And in a church setting, you're going to get people going, it's not easy to not believe in God. Who could not believe in God? Let's just, apparently in our culture, it is very, very easy to not believe in God. So why is that? Psalm 14 that Tierney read for us, starts with this verse that I was told about when I was a young Christian growing up in evangelical circles. The fool says in his heart that there is no God. And I don't know that people did this intentionally. Some of them did. But the idea that that verse kind of stands on its own, and if you don't believe in God, you're a fool. It seems to be what the verse says, correct? The problem is, if you read the rest of the psalm, that's not what the verse says. What the the psalm is set up for is, The fool says in his heart there is no God. And as Tierney read for us, we get further in the psalm and it says, uh, 
these people devour each other. They eat each other. They eat poor like bread. And so the reason that first verse is there is because the idea is, I'll go and exploit people and hurt people and cause all kinds of damage in the world, and God's not watching. Get it? That's the verse. (laughs) To teach it as a verse about belief versus non-belief is not proper to the text itself. So if you've learned it that way, may you be relieved of that. Even a person who believes in God could set out to exploit the poor, make profit for themselves, and not care about others, and that, that psalm would apply to them. God's not really watching. He won't really care. So this verse that has been used against non-believers is not really the way that text is written. So what do we make of non-belief in our culture? This is easy for me to do, and I think most people, kind of in a way, unfortunately, like it'd be great to have more and more people in Christian conversations that don't believe in God, right? And maybe that used to be the case. I don't know when it was okay to be in a church setting and say, I don't believe in God. I guess the idea, if, if that's you, then probably you, want, you, know, you feel like it should be somewhere else. But I can put this question out. Do you believe in God? And there's six possible responses. Or this at least covers the range. Yes, of course I believe in God. Which kind, kind of carries an, an emphatic, everybody else should as well. Or secondly, yes, but I get that some people don't. Or yes, but in truth I have doubts. Or maybe, there's no way to know. Which one do you think would be most descriptive of our culture? You'd have to pick. You can talk about it in your groups. Or not really, I don't really believe, but I can't say for sure that there is no God. And then as emphatic as the first positive declaration, now an emphatic negative declaration, no, of course not, I don't believe in God. So let me introduce you to William. William lived just before 1500 in what is now Europe. You can put him wherever you want. Just before Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Uh, William's born and grows up and totally believes in God. There was never a chance that William wouldn't believe in God, for the most part. His world only makes sense by the presence of God. His life, his place in the world, the weather, they're all explained by God. And now I'll introduce you to Jamie. Jamie is born more than 500 years after William, maybe in the same place, maybe in Europe, but maybe now in North Vancouver. And he grows up and he becomes a young adult and a young man here around us. You might know many Jamies. And for the most part, maybe he's not aggressive about it, but for the most part, Jamie does not believe in God. His life, his place in the world, the weather... They require for Jamie no belief in a transcendent power. What happened? What happened between William and Jamie? See, too often the religious answer is, well, everything went wrong. It's much more complex than that. So, a question. Would you rather live in 1500? Everybody believed in God then, for the most part. Would it be better to go back? If only everybody believed in God today, then things would be so much better. Unfortunately, I have yet to meet someone when I ask them this question. Would you rather live in 1500? Who says yes? 
believers as well as non-believers. But I thought things would be so much better. So our faith, our mission today, my faith, you, I don't know what we want to accuse each other of, we could do a lot. But for the most part, we couldn't accuse one another of not caring about our faith. My faith, as soon as you start to say this, you think about your family, the blessings in your life. And so when I say my faith is the most important thing in my life, what I mean is I couldn't even get to the depths of how much I love all those other blessings were it not for my faith. My love for Jesus Christ is saying it's the most important thing in my life does it an injustice. It's more than that. It's the air that I breathe. But I live this faith out in a culture where many, perhaps most, don't share that faith. I want to help you to be glad that you live your faith now and release you from the prison of things used to be better. That's a prison. Even if things did used to be better, which we clearly, most of us, don't think that's the case, at least in this 500-year span. But even if they did, we can't go back. The question is, how will we live our faith moving forward? How is our faith still? How is our Lord still? The hope of all the world. Our question is not to try to have a faith from back then that would work when most people believed. Our question is how to have a faith for now when many don't. So what changed? Why did William believe in God as if there was no other way and Jamie really never gave God much of a second thought, perhaps? William ordered his life around this belief and Jamie just... Well, I don't know. You can, how do people order their lives these days? Charles Taylor, in his book, Secular Age, which explains philosophically in terms of society and the rest how we went from 1500 to 2000, how this shift happened, calls them in a kind of wordy way three construals, three ways of seeing things that changed. Firstly, for Jamie, or sorry, for William. For William and all those around him, the events, the phenomena in the natural world were explained by the presence of God. So if there were clouds or storms or an earthquake or even a fire, forest fire or something like that, that was direct intervention of God. That's how he saw the world. William's days were ordered by belief in God. Feasts and festivals and gatherings and daily life was ordered by a shared view of God for William. So he couldn't even get up in the morning and go through his day without that belief in God being bolstered by the culture around him. Thirdly, the world was enchanted. Don't have enough objects up here. This doesn't really do it justice. Although it's kind of magic because I press a button and like, where did, how did that happen? But back in those days, objects themselves were considered to be enchanted. So if these speakers had somehow been cursed or something like that, they would be having a negative impact on all of us in here and that curse must be broken. The world was enchanted, right? 
and that was William's world. For Jamie, it shifts, and that happens in this 500 years. Jamie doesn't explain the natural phenomenon in the world, for the most part, clouds and storms and earthquakes and fire, by the presence of God. Jamie has a weather app and looks. And he's not absolutely flabbergasted when it's raining tomorrow and was sunny today. He doesn't think, what did God do? He just looks at his app. Jamie's days are not ordered by belief in God. He lives in a society where that is no longer the case. It's shifted in the 500 years from being around God and religion to being around the state. So you grew up celebrating or marking Victoria Day, right, in the United States President's Day. and It's the state. It's civic society. It shifts from religion to the state. And now that's even diminishing, right? We have holidays now like Family Day. What does that mean? Right? Do you know what yesterday was? It was a special day in our calendar. Star Wars Day. May the 4th be with you. That's what it is now. It shifted from religion to, to civic society, and now it's sports and popular entertainment. And the school calendar. Now, if you grow up in that, your faith in God, your belief in God, isn't bolstered by all the things around you. And some of us think, if we can get those construals back, then people will believe again. But that's not how we're going to move forward. And some of us, some of you, lament the loss of some of these shifts. My heart goes out to you and I love you, but we won't get back to faith. We won't be able to show people, we won't get forward to faith by going back to the modes and models of before. For William and Jamie, what affects William? Well, like I said, if this speaker is black, so that makes it possibly you know, dark or something, if this was having impact on me, you can see that what's happening is my self is, so my concept of self, you have a concept of yourself, that the self idea I have is open and porous. So the things outside of me come into me and affect how I see the world. That was mostly the dominant view up until just past William's era. For Jamie and for your friends, and largely for you, because this shift has affected not only those who don't believe, it's deeply affected those who do believe. And so now, instead of that open, they call it porous self, the way you make sense of the world is by your own ideas, your own thoughts. So I go, how am I going to make sense of that speaker? How am I going to interpret the meaning of what it, what it is? See, now it's in my mind, not out there. That's called, in Taylor's language, a buffered self. It's more closed. You can tell me about demons and angels, and, and back in William's day, of course, that would be much, much more meaningful. Many people today would go, well, I just don't see it that way. It's in my mind how I make it up. How, not that I make it up, but what decisions I make to make sense of it. So the question is, do we have anything, anything to say in this world today? And if so, how are we going to say it? It is not really that valid, I don't think, in our culture to kind of cajole people. You should believe, you should believe, you should believe. Because they have made some major shifts in how they see the world that you might not be allowing yourself to be aware of. 
And you might be trying to convince them of faith in a way that, you know, would have worked maybe some time ago. So I don't know what to tell you. I'd like you to talk about it. These are really small words, so I'll read the psalm again. Tierney's already read it for us. Psalm 95. I read this psalm every morning. And it's my cycling psalm, too, because it's got, like, deep caverns and high hills. And all of the water and land... So how are we going to live this faith in this world where these key changes have taken place? So this is not only a psalm of praise. I'll say again, this is the air I breathe. So I'll read it prayerfully. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout for joy to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and raise a loud shout to him with songs. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the caverns of the earth and the heights of the hills are his also. The sea is his for he made it and his hands have molded the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down and kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. I believe and know, but it's a faith declaration. I believe and know that God is loving and present And I believe that the fullness of God is shown in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Who said, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. And I believe that we are headed somewhere. I believe in Ephesians 1, that the mystery of God's will will be made known to unite all things in him, in Christ. Things in heaven and things on earth. So why don't other people believe this? Sometimes I tell myself because they haven't heard that it's hopeful instead of hurtful. Sometimes I tell myself that misreading of Psalm 14 that too often we've treated disbelief in God as if it's something, you know, something's wrong with that person. Jamie, you've rebelled. Jamie just grew up in a culture that didn't bolster faith. So how do I speak my faith with someone like that? Come, Holy Spirit. That someone like Jamie could see the hope that I have. It seems so often like pain or death or judgment wins, but they don't. Not in Christ. The love of Christ is before all things and under all things and behind all things and through all things and it defeats all death and sin and darkness and is all that remains. Our faith ought to be, and for many of you it is, our faith ought to be squarely focused on the future and hopeful. And it can be hard to see that while I deeply, 
while I'm deeply grateful for those who have come before me and led me in the ways of faith, even out of service to them, I have no interest in going back. I do not think that if only things could be like they used to be, then we would fulfill our Christian mission. Thank you, God, that we live in the world that we live in now. Fill us with the hope and the power of the gospel. May we see in this life that the call for those who don't see this hope is invitation for us, not condemnation. Come, Holy Spirit.